Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Back in 2020, at the height of the outrage over the murder of George Floyd, former San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin did something historic. He filed criminal charges against former police officer Christopher Samayoa, who shot and killed Keita O'Neill in 2017. This act of criminally prosecuting an officer for killing someone on duty would have been a first for San Francisco. But since then, Chase Boudin has been recalled and replaced with a more tough-on-crime DA, Brooke Jenkins, who announced she plans to reverse that historic decision and drop the charges against Samayoa. The family of Kita O'Neill is devastated, and now they want the state attorney general to take up the case. So I told her the God I serve is real, and don't you ever forget it. And he's going to hold you accountable because all that blood and them killings and murders that you justify in the police is going to be on your head. Today, why DA Brooke Jenkins decided to drop charges against a former SFPD officer and what it means for the case moving forward. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. When Chase Boudin charged this case, it became national news. Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez is a political reporter for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. This is the historic first time that any police officer had been held to account in San Francisco for the shooting death of someone on duty. And to actually have uh, criminal charges be brought is absolutely unheard of. And just remind us, what happened in that shooting? 
So in 2017, Keita O'Neill, a 42-year-old man, uh, stole a California Lotto van uh, from the Potrero Hill neighborhood and drove it back to the Bayview. And when a police car approached him that was in pursuit, he approached that car and a four-day rookie officer shot Keita O'Neill through the cop car window, killing him. And the officer who shot and killed Keita, uh, his name is Christopher Samayoa. Samayoa was fired from the SFPD about three months afterwards. So then uh, Chase Boudin takes office in 2020. Uh, and in November, he decides to pursue charges against Officer Christopher Samayoa. Why did he decide to do that? What was the rationale he gave? What Chase Boudin is saying is that there were facts on merit that showed that this was an illegal shooting, that this was manslaughter, that Samayoa should not have done it. Keita O'Neill was unarmed, though Samayoa claimed he saw him reach for his waistband. To this day, with everything that's going on, Chesa has maintained that he brought this case for the facts. Officer Chris Samayoa was accused of voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, assault by an executive officer, assault with a semi-automatic firearm, and negligent discharge of a firearm. And I mean, this decision came out the same year as the murder of George Floyd. And so I have to imagine public reaction was pretty intense at the time. How did people react to this decision? Yeah, it's it's interesting to think of it now. Mm-hmm. Now we're in this, right, we're in this like state where everyone in every city is worried about the lack of police uh, is the narrative you hear a lot. But you have to put yourself back in 2020. This was after George Floyd uh, was killed and we saw that footage that was so terrifying and the entire nation kind of exploded in a need for more accountability for police. It was in that context that we had Jason Boudin taking certain actions in office like charging Officer Christopher Samayoa. So you have to imagine there was a lot of uh, wind at his back at some point for that. But that definitely changed. Right. I want to fast forward to to that change. Chesa Boudin was, of course, recalled last June and was replaced with Brooke Jenkins, who campaigned against him. Can you just remind us briefly, Joe, how different is she from Chesa Boudin and how much was she even talking about police accountability? Yeah, I mean, you know, Brooke is night and day from uh, Chesa in terms of like what they put out there to the public. What Brooke puts out there to the public is law and order. She owns it. She doesn't shy away from it. She doesn't try to sugarcoat it. What we want to have happen is instead of people dealing drugs, getting arrested and getting right back out and calling their five friends to say, hey, guess what? I got arrested in San Francisco. They let me right back out with no consequence. I want the phone calls to be, holy crap, I got arrested in San Francisco. I'm actually in real trouble now. She is trying to lock up folks more than Chesa Boudin did. She argues that this needs to be a tactic to frighten away people from trying to do crime in San Francisco, that by giving a chill effect of incarceration, you will neutralize some portion of crime. And where did she stand on police accountability? How did she talk about that issue? Well, so that's interesting because it's not something that she trumpeted herself. Police accountability is not something that she's going out there saying she's going to do on her own all the time. But when people ask her about it, she says, absolutely. My bar is the law. 
And if somebody breaks the law, regardless of who they are or what their stature is in, in our society, um, then they should be prosecuted. She you know, describes her own background as a black woman, of having family who have been improperly approached by police and having that be a very much a thing she's aware of when growing up. And at the same time, she goes into the black community, and I'm aware of black community gatherings where she has gone and told them, don't believe what the media has told you. Absolutely, I'm going to prosecute police. And while she is saying that, all this time, the families of victims of police killings in San Francisco have said, what about our sons, our nephews, our family, the people who were killed by police. What are you going to do about those cases? And they came to the conclusion pretty early on that Brooke was not going to do much about it. Right. I mean, this, of course, brings us to today. We're talking about her decision to go back on this historic decision by Chase Boudin to file charges against Christopher Samayoa. What is her rationale for doing that? District Attorney Jenkins issued an eight-page memo to Attorney General Rob Bonta. She was asking Bonta to take over this case. Her rationale of why she can't do it and why she can't stand beside it is twofold. One, that the district attorney staff that was handling it was biased from the start. She presented some evidence in the form of statements from one of the staffers who worked on the Christopher Samayoa case and said that this staffer, when asked, how much jail time do you want to seek for in, in the case? The staffer said, oh, I don't care about jail time. What I care about is sending a message to SFPD. That may not sound like a big deal to you or me, but to people in government, to them, that is a huge red flag. The other argument Jenkins made was that the warrant signed for Christopher Samayoa was actually signed when the lead staffer on the case was out on vacation, that that lead staffer did not actually want to sign the warrant in the first place and was ready to fall on his sword with Chase Aboudin and just say, I'm not going to do it. I don't think it's worth it. And a different DA staffer instead signed it while that previous one was on vacation. And he made apparently made a teary-eyed confession to uh, D.A. Jenkins about that, which then he later uh, denied certain elements of what he told Jenkins. So is she basically saying that Boudin made a big mistake in making this decision? No, worse than a mistake. Jenkins is claiming that Boudin did not just make a mistake, but that Boudin intentionally went for a case that was A, unwinnable, and B, biased for political reasons in order to expose some wrongs by the cops. But a case that may not have been worth trying on its own. Well, I mean, I know he's not in office anymore, but how has uh, former district attorney Chase Boudin responded to this? There's some pretty big accusations there. Yeah, I mean, just a few days ago, he tweeted out the video of the body camera footage showing Samayoa killing Keita. The reason that Boudin posted that video is because even someone not steeped in police rules and regulations can look at that video and go, oh, wow, there is something really off about how that happened. I was in the room um, when they first released that video in a, in a church in the Bayview, and I remember hearing the room filled with black people, members of the Bayview community, just in shock of just how bad it looked. They gasped, they shouted, they cried. There was a demonstrable, palpable 
feeling of distrust after seeing that video in that room and people were shouting down the police chief. I remember it clear as a bell. And that is the kind of reaction that you get when you see this video. And I think that's why Chesa is arguing that this was actually a fairly strong case, that the case was charged based on facts and that those are the facts that led the police department to fire the officer. And those are the facts that led a jury to award a $2.5 million civil lawsuit to uh, the family of Keita O'Neill. That's something that's lost in this and that bears mentioning. They won the civil case and they won $2.5 million. So there is some precedent that you know, folks have sided with the family and against the police on this. You know, when I charged this case, we did it based on the facts. And, you know, by sheer coincidence, as we're recording this, Chase Boudin appeared on KPFA radio with April Green, the aunt of Keita O'Neill. This is a case in which a police officer improperly and unlawfully shot and killed an unarmed man, a black man. And the fact that they're doing everything in their power to make sure that the public never even gets to see a public hearing where the evidence is presented to the court is a disgrace. Yeah, I want to ask you about um, Keita O'Neill's family. I have to imagine this news is really devastating. Yeah, so it's, it's important to note that the central figure of family looking for justice for Keita O'Neill is his aunt, April Green. Sadly, Keita's mother suffers from dementia, and her sister, April Green, is trying to take care of her as best she can. It was April Green who initially met with Jenkins and decided that she thought that Jenkins was not inclined to pursue this case just based on her read and what Jenkins had told April in their meetings. And I got tired of her running her mouth. April is not one to hold back. And she told me that she had some very sharp words for uh, Brooke Jenkins when they were on a Zoom call together, right after Brooke Jenkins told her that she would be dismissing the case against Christopher Samoyoa. I told her, look, I'm not surprised that you're trying to dismiss this case. I told her to God I serve is real. You're going to be held accountable because I believe he's going to hold you accountable because I'm going to fight you. And don't you ever forget it, because all that blood and them killings and murders that you justify in the police is going to be on your head. April also, you know, when Chase Boudin filed charges against Samayoa, that really won over April. So she definitely campaigned for Chase on the campaign trail. That's earned her a little ire. Just recently, there was a Justice for Tyree Nichols kneeling in ceremony at the steps of City Hall held by some black leaders for justice with Mayor London Breed and Brooke Jenkins in attendance. And they told April Green not to come. First, they were going to let her speak. But then when they realized that April Green was going to speak out against Brooke Jenkins for not pursuing this case, they disinvited her from speaking. And April Green showed up anyways with a bullhorn and was like, Brooke Jenkins, what are you going to do about the man who killed my nephew? So, Joe, what happens with this case now? So now we wait until the next court hearing date, which is March 1st. And essentially what Brooke Jenkins has asked Rob Bonta to do, the attorney general, is take over this case. Take it from me under your purview under new California law, which was passed in 2021, giving the attorney general purview over officer-involved shootings of unarmed people. And if Rob Bonta does not take the case from Brooke Jenkins, then Jenkins will dismiss it 
on March 1st, she has said. What do you think this story says about where the tides are turning in terms of the Bay Area's appetite for a more progressive approach to criminal justice and for holding police accountable? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Holding police accountable is something that really affects us all at some point, but really especially affects the most vulnerable. And it is a minority voice. It is a smaller segment of our population who is day-to-day affected by whether or not police are accountable in these situations. And as San Francisco's black population dwindles, uh, we see that voice losing uh, political ground, losing the uh, ability to push back against the levers of government to make this happen. And they're really dependent on the sea tide of the majority. During 2020, we saw that sea tide with George Floyd push towards police accountability that would help those folks who say they need it. But now we're seeing the other swing where people are asking for more law and order. We're seeing potential raises for police officers to keep them in the city, a push to bolster the number of police officers in San Francisco, quite the opposite of defunding the police. So really, these folks are at the mercy and the whim of the majority. And right now, the majority has swung in a decidedly different way. All the things that we just talked about should definitely be qualified with a big old honking asterisk the size of the Bay Bridge that says that this is all a discussion about San Francisco. Because on the other side of the Bay, the newly elected district attorney, Pamela Price, just announced eight cases against law enforcement who killed would be reopened by her office. Now, that just doesn't mean she's necessarily making a charge. What it means is that she's asking for evidence from those law enforcement agencies that oversaw those officers to be returned to her so that her own office can make its own judgments about whether or not to, to file a case or not. So whereas San Francisco is moving away from police accountability, some would argue, across the Bay, we're seeing the other way in a big way. Well, Joe, thank you so much uh, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. On Monday night, the NAACP called on DA Brooke Jenkins to change course and move forward with the case against Christopher Samayoa. Meanwhile, State Attorney General Rob Bonta's office has confirmed to KQED that it has received the request from Jenkins' office and is currently reviewing it. That was Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, a political reporter for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. This 24-minute conversation with Joe was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Our intern, Jalen Herdman, scored this episode and added all the tape. Our senior editor is Alan Montecilio. And I'm Erica Cruz-Guevara. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 